Blog Talk Radio. pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today is my inaugural show from our new clinic, or our, our currently in the state of renovated, renovation project clinic, <laughs> in our, yeah, I'm always doing quotes to me, in my new hometown, and I'm so excited about this space. If you've been on my email list, or if you've been to Teach Me to Talk, my website, you've seen that post, and I hope that my Words can convey the excitement that we feel about this project, this addition for uh, Teach Me to Talk, and certainly the um, just the, the peace, the peace that I'm feeling in our life now. And gosh, if you've ever experienced just a season of tumultuousness, and ours actually lasted for a few years, you know what I mean when you feel like you can finally <sighs> breathe and just be fine and know that everything's going to be okay. So... That's my little philosophical <laughs> opening for today's show, uh, and hopefully that touched someone's heart, because if you're experiencing uh, that kind of turmoil in your life, I, I so pray that you'll find that same peace. Okay, so today let's switch some gears here. We are going to be talking about therapy, down and dirty, how to do it, what to do, when to do it, what to say, those kinds of things, and I want to sort of go back Again, to I've been on this this page of you know getting back to basics, returning to what made me first love this job and why I felt so called to be a speech language pathologist for late talking toddlers in the first place. What made me make that decision? What are the things that really really work? You know, when you analyze a 25 year career, and I'm pretty self reflective anyway, but boy have I been lately. And you start really, really looking at things that work and what you do that kind of keeps it new and exciting, not only for the kids you see and the families you see, but for yourself. And so for me, one of the things is not getting into a rut. So then you start to walk that back and you say, well, how can I not get in a rut? That means you change things. (laughs) You do things differently. You tweak your normal routines. And so one of the best ways to do that is to look at what's changing around you and say, how can I be a part of that? How can I embrace that? And so seasonal changes, holiday-related themes, things that are current and happening. And, again, I think that keeps you so grounded, not only as a therapist or as, you know, as a mom or as a person. It keeps you really, really, really grounded when you are looking at what am I doing every single day that really connects me to this moment in time? Not how I want to be, not how I wish that things were, not how things are going to be as a mom when my house is clean and my kids are <laughs> good <laughs> and everything's going great, or not as a therapist, you know, when you think all my paperwork will be caught up and I'll feel like I finally got, you know, X done. The, the truth is you're never going to get everything all done. We're never going to be, it's never going to be perfect, really, really, really. And so looking at what can make this day, this week, as, as just as good as I can get, let me reach out for that. And so for me, that's keeping up with what's going on around me. And so because it's springtime and because now we're getting some beautiful weather, 
some warm temperatures after a winter. It was pretty mild here, but it was still a winter. It was still cold. You know, we really want to look at what can we do to switch things up a little bit. What can I do to make therapy sessions, if you're a therapist, for my little friends as much fun as possible? What will help them re-engage to me? If you're a mom or a grandmother, and we have lots of grandmothers who listen, and gosh, to you who are grandmas out there listening, I, I just wish I could reach through and give you a big hug today because, boy, you're really doing it. This is your second round of kids, and so... Congratulations to you for being so connected to your child who's had a child with some learning difficulties and um, differences. And so hats off to you. I know that you must be worried out of your mind a lot of the time, even if you don't say it, even if you just put on a happy face, even if you are the rock in your family who's holding it all together and you're the one who's doing a lot of the work with your grandchild. And But I, I, know, I know that you are concerned, and that's why you're taking this hour to listen to this show. So for you, too, you know, for these kinds of things, these kinds of activities will really spice things up for you and really make things um, exciting and help you feel more connected to your grandbaby and certainly as a mom. So happy when we see that our child is making progress and that things are moving along. And gosh, as therapists, that's what we live for, is to see new exciting changes with our little friends. And so the best way to do that is, again, to switch things up. So let's talk about today what we can do this time of year, some really fun little things. Um, you know, with springtime, the focus here, the big thing that you can do would be to add um, things related to that nearest holiday, which is Easter. Now, I've shared here my Christian faith and I'm going to not be apologetic about that at all, but I know that there are those of you who are listening who are not Christians. And let me just say, I have worked with all kinds of families in my 25-year career, uh, families who who were probably pretty opposed to uh, that choice that uh, we make religious-wise or spirituality. And so let me just say that I've never, ever, and, and I'm pretty consistent. I'm respectful of uh, different cultures and families and, you know, whatever you need to do or feel like doing. I am never going to bang you over the head with what I believe. But let me just say I have served a variety of families and children, and no one has ever gotten upset with me when I brought plastic Easter eggs into their home or suggested to them that, hey, this is a really fun thing that you can pick up. And even if you're not into Easter and that's not anything you even want to hear about, it's a really cool toy. And the reason that plastic Easter eggs work so well, especially this time of year, is one, kids see them everywhere, but two, it really gets to that core desire that toddlers have, which is to open and close things and then put things in and out. And so plastic Easter eggs really give you tons and tons and tons of flexibility with what you're going to do with this kind of activity. And again, if you were like me, I sort of stumbled over that whole, you know, trying to be politically correct here. And I promised myself that I'm not going to do that as much, but I so don't want to offend anyone if you're listening and you think, you know, especially as a therapist, you think there's no way that I can suggest to uh, this family that who who's you know maybe from a different cult, culture, different different values, different religious beliefs. There's no way that I can suggest that. And let me just say, I've never ever ever again had a problem with that, and I've done this a long long time. But don't let your own fear of 
political correctness or cultural sensitivity or whatever you want to call it, don't let that stop you from potentially sharing what could be a really cool, fun idea for families. And don't do like I just did and follow all over yourself talking about it either, trying to be so perfect and not offend people. People are going to get offended. Gosh. If they want to be offended, they'll be offended. And so you just can kind of leave it there. We still have to be sensitive. We still have to be aware of those kinds of things. But, again, don't let that stop you from sharing a potentially super, super fun activity for a family. So I'm going to talk to you about different ways that I use these, and these would be for all developmental levels, and that's the hard thing. What if you have a kid who really isn't, you know, the the obvious use for this kind of springtime therapy activity would be we're going to put things in the Easter eggs and we're going to hide them around the room. And, you know, you can certainly do Easter eggs inside. That's the great part about starting these kinds of activities so early. You can do them two or three weeks before Easter and then two or three weeks after, and it is fine. With one, two, three, and four-year-olds, they love it. They're not going to say, Easter is over, move on, lady. (laughs) They're going to like it. All right, so the the great thing about this is with with these uh, this activity, you know, the obvious thing is that you're going to hide them and stuff, but there's so many other things that you can do, and this is especially where we struggle as therapists. So when we have children who aren't verbal yet and who aren't really talking yet and who may not even be imitative yet, you think, what in the world would I do with this? And so I want to give you lots and lots of ideas for this today. I also want us to go back and think about what we talked about on the show a few months ago, <coughs> excuse me, when we are thinking about our overall treatment plan for a toddler in that hierarchy. Do you remember that hierarchy, what we always start with? We always start by looking at a child's social engagement or his social interaction. So what are some things that we can do for children who are at those those just very basic developmental levels where that is what our goal would be. Well, we're going to talk about some of those activities today, too. So that was the first piece. Remember, our second piece, um, and there, there are kind of two pieces with it, would be receptive language. And remember that when children are three, and especially under three, reception or receptive language is so closely tied to cognition that you can't really separate that. So we're also going to talk about some ideas today that are completely appropriate for kids who are in speech therapy and who are pre-verbal for whom this should be your main focus. What can I do to really get this receptive language and these cognitive skills really kicked off? Because you know that you have to jumpstart that area of development before you will ever see progress with expressive language. So kids always have to understand words before they can use words. And I hope that if you've listened to this podcast before, you know, some of you may be thinking that is about the, you know, the hundredth time I've heard her say that. Good. I want that to be your earworm today. (laughs) Kids have to understand words before they use those words to communicate. And so we should be thinking about that and prioritizing those kinds of goals too, especially when our kids are nonverbal, when they're preverbal, and when we know that they have difficulty following directions. So we'll be talking about those kinds of activities today too, along with the expressive language piece. How do we get kids to increase their vocabulary? How do we get them to imitate and use new words? So the pragmatic piece there, the, the language use piece, and certainly articulation. We'll get to that as well with speech intelligibility. So when we're talking about these activities today, I'm going to say this is a social activity or this is you can use this for receptive language or sometimes we'll say 
gosh, this can be used for, for you know, the gamut. So let's talk about exactly what you could do with that. All right, so we're all set up for today's show. You know where we're going and you know what we're going to talk about. So let's start looking at kids. And let's sort of look at this by developmental level, too. So what would you do with a kid who's at the 9- to 12-month developmental level? So what would a kid look like who's at that 9- to 12-month developmental level? Well, first of all, they're not talking. They're probably just starting to use some gestures. Um, they are understanding maybe key words, but not yet following directions consistently, not yet pointing to pictures and in, in, in books when you say, where's the house or show me the dog. They can't do that yet. That's developmentally ahead of where they are. These are kids, too, that may even be a little under that 9- to 12-month level. These might be children who have some pretty significant medical diagnoses going on. And you're thinking, how in the world can I use an activity like this? Well, with those kinds of kids, and certainly when children are under 12, the 12-month 12 developmental level, level, we always go sensory first. So we think about what kinds of things can they see? What kinds of things can they hear? What kinds of things can they touch? Potentially, what kinds of things can they put in their mouth? <laughs> so what would we do with this? Well, we would uh, look at maybe making some sensory Easter eggs. So what do you mean by that? Again, think about those senses that we just talked about. How can I make this visually appealing? What can I do so that a child can hear a new sound as he's uh, playing with these Easter eggs? You can fill them with a variety of materials, so rice, pasta. I like to put coins in there, so loose change. And you'll have to glue the Easter egg because, of course, we have to prioritize safety anytime we're working with young children. So make this kind of a permanent therapy activity that you'll use year after year after year. I made a set in 2014 for uh, an Easter therapy guide, and I still have these materials, so you can recycle these year after year. But glue them. If you don't want to glue them, you could use uh, tape, that decorative tape, on the outside, what is, what is that, washi tape, I think it's called, but some, or even pretty duct tape, <laughs> if you're like me and your husband has that everywhere. Uh, yeah, so you could certainly tape up Easter eggs to make them safer after you've put those things in them. And so what do you do? How do you play with Easter eggs for the kid at this developmental level? What would you say? Well, I still get some kind of container, so an Easter basket or those plastic Easter buckets now that you can get at Dollar Tree or Walmart or Target or Meyer, wherever Kroger, wherever you shop, they all kinds of things are available like that this time of year. Or even if you're in a home and you're a mom and you think, I do, I have not had time to buy that yet. Just get a big bowl, but some kind of container. And the reason that's important is back to what we said before. One of the ways children learn at this developmental level is cause and effect, which is taking things out of a container and putting them in the container. So put your Easter eggs in that container, and you're just going to use really simple modeling here. So you're going to pick up one of those sensor eggs, shake it around, show it to the child, make your language match what you're doing. So you say things like, wow, look, see this egg? Ooh, it's so pretty, look. Oh, and then listen, listen. And then you'll shake the Easter egg. You'll certainly put the egg in the child's line of vision, and then you'll encourage him to explore the egg himself, so you'll put it in his little hands. Don't be afraid to do a lot of hand, hand over hand. You're really teaching turn-taking here, too. You know, I do something with the egg, and then I give it to you, and you do something with that Easter egg, and then, you know, as an adult, hold your hands out so you can start to teach turn-taking and get a child to give that egg to you. 
And that's actually a good idea, no matter what developmental level that you're working with, with a child who's had language delays. Because one of the skills that's often missing is that turn-taking piece, especially when there are markers for autism or there are, are uh, cognitive delays. Kids don't naturally have that give and take or that back and forth. And so one of the ways that we get that to happen long before it happens in conversation is that we make sure that we introduce play routines that have turn-taking as a really important component of that. So the, the best way to do that, and again with our kids who are at that earliest developmental level, that 9 to 12 month or below level, is just to simply hold out your hands, to give them a toy, let them play with it a little bit, and then hold out your hands for a turn. Now your turn needs to be pretty short. You know, Don't keep it for two minutes and then think that the kid's going to sit with you <laughs> the whole time. Sometimes your turn is about two seconds when you will look at the Easter egg and shake it and play with it and then give it right back. But that's the that's the foundation piece for turn-taking. And so many of our little guys that are just seem to be in their own little worlds, they're pretty disconnected. It's hard to get them to maintain or make eye contact with you. This is how we build it. It's right there on the floor together and doing something really simple like looking at these uh, sensory Easter eggs. Do something else with those things, too. You can roll them across the floor. You can expand it to some of these other play routines that we'll move on and talk about now. So now let's bump up a little bit, and let's say we have a child who's at the 12 to 18-month developmental level. So how do you know when a kid is at that developmental level? Well, language-wise, you've started to hear some words. They've started to imitate some words from you. It could be that you could have a child who's at the 12 to 18-month developmental level receptively or cognitively, meaning that he understands what words mean, easy words, very basic, simple, familiar words. He's staying with you for longer and longer periods of time. He may, he's probably starting to use some gestures and starting to do some things that look a lot more like play with toys, and so let's talk about what we would do with kids at this developmental level. And remember, we're still using our Easter eggs here. We're still on our springtime theme. So one of my favorite activities at this level is to get an empty baby wipe container and look for one that has an inside uh, opening too. So Huggies, Pampers, most of those brands have those white boxes now that you'll have a button that you can push on the top of the lid and one uh, little flap opens and then under that there's another little piece of squishy material. Oh my goodness, kids love that and that use this kind of everyday material. So if you're a therapist and you're go, you're, you are operating under the uh, coaching uh, model, co consultative model, and you are not taking toy bags in and you are looking around the home thinking there is nothing for me to play with here, Ask for a white box. See if a family uses a white box because you can do so many things with this. And you'll, as we're talking about this, I'm sure you and your creativeness are going to come up with some additional activities that you could do with this all year long. But let's talk about it right now with Easter eggs. Simply putting the egg in the box and then getting three or four in there and then shaking it up and having the child shake it up and talk about it and kids like to usually pick up the box and walk across the room and then bring it back. That's a real fun activity for this developmental level. So the big thing here is helping a child develop an attention span so that he can stay with you long enough to complete a play activity. And that's what this six-month period in a child's development is really, really about, is task completion. 
So sitting there with you and learning how to put those eggs in and listen to you as you talk about it, that joint attention piece where you're talking about what they're paying attention to and they are paying attention to what you are talking about. And so here you're going to do a lot of repetition with putting those eggs in and getting them out and showing a child how to do that. And again, that takes some trial and error, but that is problem solving here. You're really working on that cognitive piece. What do I do if I can't get the egg in there? I push harder. What do I do if I can't get the egg out? I, I, I get my whole little hand in there and I pull it out of that container. Or I learn how to open the whole lid. Or I use my social component here and I pass the box to you, the adult, for you to do it for me. So can you see how a child would really, really walk through those prerequisite skills that we need them all to have before they really start to talk, that basic cognitive foundation? I'm understanding more about how the world works. I'm learning. Last time I couldn't get this box open, but I remember. I remember that you showed me that I have to push right here. Or it might be an improvement of their ability to listen to you and follow directions. As you're saying, look, look, look right here, and you're pointing to the button that opens the, bo the top flap on the box. And you're saying, push, push. And you're, you're giving some visual cues, but after a while you need to fade that so that a child is really, really listening to your words and really following directions. Guys, kids sometimes don't do that on their own. We have to really set up those opportunities where they can demonstrate that, they're, that they are understanding the words that you said and that they're linking meaning. And so many times we just dismiss a child's noncompliance as just strictly a behavioral issue. Oh, he doesn't want to do it. It's not his idea. He's, he's just being bad or whatever we say about that rather than he has no idea what I've asked him to do. When a child's receptive language is improving, you will notice a marked improvement in their cooperation level. They will suddenly seem like different children because they are doing what you ask them to do. Every single thing is not a sheer uh, you know, battle of the wills here. They are doing things, and that's how you know you've had a big cognitive bump. That's how you know that receptive language is improving. Therapist, mom should be saying to you, oh, you will not believe it. He's listening better. He's doing so much with me now. I feel like I can keep his attention better. That's almost always linked with an improvement in receptive language. So listen to those things. Now, as therapists, you may have to walk a parent through that and say, look, I know you're so concerned about talking, and I am too, and boy, do we want to hear new words. But you know what would really make your life easier <laughs> is if he learns how to follow some directions for you. So that's why we're working on teaching him to understand what words mean because it's going to be so much easier for you to live with him if he's able to do some things that you ask and that you'll get better participation. And so that's always the way that you sell it, always. I am working with a little boy right now that, oh, my goodness, I started seeing him right after Thanksgiving. And so now he is just coming along, and I just, oh, I'm so proud of him. But I'm really even more proud of him. I'm more proud of his mom because she has really bought into all this therapy stuff, and she tells me every week how much more he's understanding and how much easier life has gotten and that he's doing these things. And she's so cute when she tells me these stories that, you know, his daddy is noticing or his daddy's not noticing. And I have to point out, you know, look at what he's able to do now. Or, yeah, we can't let him do this because he understands us now. He, he's, he's not as difficult to manage. So, again, that is such an important thing. And as a therapist, if you're not having those conversations with parents, 
that's a real opportunity for improvement with you, for you, so that you can really help a family under, help understand and begin to and prioritize receptive language and cognitive development. So that's certainly something that you can do too. All right, another really fun activity to do, and if you are craftier, and this probably falls more on the mom side, but if you're a therapist with your own office or a school-based program or something, one idea that I did several years ago is I took a really big box. Now, you can do it with a smaller box, but I took a really big box, and I made holes in the box so that children who were coming into my office could put the Easter eggs in the box. And it was so novel because they didn't have this kind of thing at home that kids stayed with it a long time. And again, we could focus on lots and lots of receptive language with this. If, if For kids who were obsessed with colors, and these aren't really, I, I don't really like these activities as a way to teach a child colors because if they're not talking yet, we certainly should be focusing on more functional vocabulary. But we all know that we have little friends, usually, who have markers for autism, who learn colors very easily and very early, and it's one of their little fascinations. And so you can certainly do that. And then we work in receptive language with that. So you can say, and even something like sorting and matching, you can sort your eggs by color. The yellow ones go here. The blue eggs go here. The green eggs go here. And then you say, let's get a green egg and go put it in. Let's put it in the box. And so you're doing lots and lots of uh, auditory comprehension, lots and lots of receptive language training with those kinds of things. Now, that's not to say that you're going to be overly directive and that you have to control every move the child makes <laughs> during your time to work with him on language or it's not a success. Not at all. You'll just fold these commands in. So while you're showing in the box, while you're talking about it, while he's throwing the Easter eggs across the room, while he's doing any of the things that babies and toddlers do, you say things like, oh, look at that blue egg. Look at the blue one. See, right there, right there. Oh, get it. Pick up the blue egg and let's put it in. And that's how you work that in. That's that receptive language practice. It's not sitting a child down and forcing that compliance and saying you will – you will follow these directions or else. It's not doing any of that. It's making it super, super natural. And so as a therapist, when you're talking about these kinds of activities to parents, be sure that you're talking about that too and that you're leaving that room for flexibility. You're saying, look, I know he's going to roll the egg across the floor and he's going to want to throw it and he's going to want to eat it and he's going to want to try to open it and all that too. But while he's doing all that, <laughs> we can really sneak in some of this receptive language practice too where he's really following directions. And then you say, and, you know, putting things in and verbs like push and pull, those are really important words in everyday vocabulary. So let's use this little play activity to teach him how to follow these really important directions. Another thing that you can do with Easter eggs like this is set up a kind of a little relay game so that you put a basket or a box or something on the other side of the room and you have your Easter eggs on one side and then the containers on the other side and your whole goal here is to keep the kid with you and give him a little movement break so that he is completing the task and uh, fulfilling his sensory needs. So here you're going to have a child maybe pick up an Easter egg and then run and put it in the basket on the other side of the room and then run back to you. Now, if he's at the uh, development level where he can start to do some signs like ask for more or say more or say egg, perfect. You can have him do some requesting, but for lots of our little guys, when you add that requesting piece in, you lose them because developmentally that's too hard. So for some of our little friends, just keeping them through, you know, doing 
six little turns here of picking up an egg, running with you across the room, or even something more fun like tiptoeing or hopping or pretending. You know, hopping's real fun, pretending you're the bunny, the Easter bunny that delivers these eggs. So fun. Now, again, many toddlers will not understand that yet. They have really no concept yet of holidays and the characters that we use with that. But that doesn't even matter because that's what you're doing. You're building it. You're building that knowledge. You're introducing these concepts. So you say things, you know, we're going to hop like the Easter Bunny. Let's hop over there. Let's hop and put this egg in the basket, and then we'll hop back. So those kinds of things make this real fun, too. And, again, you're looking at helping a child build his ability to stay with you. You're helping him learn, even if he doesn't like it. You're helping him learn how to tolerate it. And that builds your foundation for attention for all your other therapy activities you'll do. So this is actually a great one to start with for a lot of our little guys. Or let's say that you have done some activities and you're really losing a child and he's getting antsy and you can see that his desire to escape is uh, really, really increasing, this might be an activity that you introduce kind of as a transition activity or an activity to help him uh, burn up some of that energy, get his little movement bump, and then get ready to go back and sit down with you for your next therapy activity. Moms, you can certainly use this at home too. If you're doing a lot of verbal routines with a child, certainly something like uh, run, 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 and then throw and throw your Easter egg into the basket or bucket. And then you're going to run, 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 run back and get another Easter egg and then run, 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 run back and then throw. And so can you see how you can make a verbal routine out of that? And so that would be great for kids who are at that developmental level who are really just starting to imitate language. And the only words that they can really, really with any kind of consistency produce would be those automatic or over-rehearsed words. And so for something to be automatic and over-rehearsed, Hurst, what do you need? You need repetition and <laughs> you need lots of time. So you may have to play this game, I mean, dozens of times before you start to hear run, 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 run. Or, or let's say you do something like with your Easter egg before you run it across the room, you say, ready, set, go. And you're waiting for that target word of go. But guys, again, you may not hear that for days or weeks, for some kids, months after you introduce that verbal routine. Stick with it because we know that that's how toddlers learn. Now, certainly you can incorporate some signs here, even with something like ready, set, go. The little boy that I was talking about earlier doesn't say go yet, but, boy, he is consistently signing it now. I sign go uh, like you do wheels on the bus. <laughs> that's probably the best way to describe it. So rolling my hands. Some therapists do it the, the ASL way or the baby sign way where you're pointing for go. Uh, but I like it the other way, where I'm rolling my hands around. And a lot of kids have done that same motion with uh, pat a cake, pat a cake, where they've, uh, you know, baker's man, roll them up, roll them up, throw them in the pan. They've already done that, or they've done it with wheels on the bus, so you're not getting a new motor movement here, but you're pairing it with the word. And so I'll, I like that version of that. So you can certainly introduce that sign, you know, as you're standing there waiting to run across the room to throw your Easter eggs in the basket, you know, ready, set, go, and he's signing it. Then you run together, put the egg in the basket, and then run back. For kids who don't stay with you, do it with them. I hold his hands while we run together. We throw it in, and then we run back. And don't feel like that's, 
that you're overdoing it or overcoaching, overcuing with a kid like that. No, that's moms we do that all day long. We hold kids' hands. We we help them. We guide them. We show them. So we certainly have to do that in therapy too. So if you're losing a little guy, if he's not wanting to do it, if he doesn't understand the routine, uh, show him how to do it. So so take his little hand and help him do all that too. All right, another really fun thing to do. Uh, that we talked about with Easter eggs, and this is, again, before we get to the open them and name the objects inside, would just be to hide them. And so you're hiding them around, and really this is a great way to work on receptive language too because you're, you, you hide the eggs together, and you'll say, let's put this one in the chair. Let's put this one under the couch. Let's put this, let's, Let's uh, and you know do do some different things you know on and things are going to happen you know the the egg is going to roll off the table certainly a great way to target your prepositions and your location words and that really I, I found for late talking toddlers we have to almost overteach some of these words and especially if there's a motor component to their speech delay lots of those kids have so much difficulty with babel variation. So you're kind of getting into this intelligibility piece. But you're really, really working on words that begin with initial vowels here in addition to that receptive language practice. Even for your little guys who are understanding those kinds of early uh, commands, like put it in, put it on, take it out, take it off, those kinds of kids might, uh, if they're Arctic kids, might really, really, really uh, benefit from that practice that you're doing with words that begin with vowels. Now, there's a whole section on that in functional phonology, and I can just imagine that some of you right now as speech pathologists are thinking, gosh, I don't have a good way to work on vowels. I, I do have some kids that who uh, vowel variability is a real big problem. Everything sounds like, uh, you know, they only have one wor one vowel. They only have a central vowel. This might be an excellent way this time of year for you to really target um, you know, improving the number of vowel sounds that they use. So think about that. Think about how you can use that activity over the next couple of weeks with that. Um, another thing that I like to do with Easter eggs too is, um, and this would be for kids who are, again, working on task completion, is use it more like a teach task. Now, we've talked a lot about teach here on the show before, and so you can Google that if you need to, T-E-A-C-C-H, that kind of method. But really you're using lots of uh, almost independent, well, independent if you use it truly the way that we're, that that method is set up to be. But today I'm just talking about setting this up where kids have a way to really work on these really focused uh, play routines, but it's not really play yet because developmentally they're not really at the pretend play level yet. They're just starting to manipulate toys. They like a lot of constructive play. So how can we incorporate that for children uh, with this kind of whole Easter egg thing? Get yourself a carton from your own refrigerator <laughs> of eggs. Take your real eggs out and use that carton so that kids can put their Easter eggs in there. This is a great activity that I've found, too, for kids that I need them to. Uh, it's kind of a bridge for a sit-down therapy activity. They've done kind of a movement activity, and I need them to sit down, but, again, they're not quite ready to play with me with a pretend play activity yet. They need sort of that transition activity. So something like getting your Easter eggs. Maybe you've hidden them around the room and you found them. You, know, you want to bring them back so that you're helping them learn to sit with you and stay. 
and again, it's this bridge activity. But get your carton there and just have them put the Easter eggs in the carton. So just one at a time. And some of you, I think, are thinking that's too simple, that's too easy. No. <laughs> Sometimes the simpler, the better. And that's how we build that attention piece. So you can certainly do that. We've talked about sorting eggs by color, and that's certainly something fun that you can do uh, as you line up those eggs in your um, Easter cartons or in the egg cartons. I like to get the 18-pack, and so if you are thinking you're going to buy one just for this purpose or maybe you're not an egg person, you don't cook eggs every day of your life like I do, uh, that certainly one is get one that uh, holds 18 eggs, and you can do a lot of different things with that organization-wise, sorting, matching, all those kinds of things. All right, now let's get to sort of those more traditional ways to use Easter eggs that we talked about before with hiding different objects in them and what kinds of things can you do here. Now, let me just say, it would be a lot easier to use pictures. <laughs> and if you were in a pinch and if that's all you have or if there's a child who really, really loves pictures and he does pretty well with pictures, you can certainly cut out lots of different pictures and put them in your Easter eggs and have children, when they open the Easter eggs, identify the picture. You may have kids who are really crafty and really artsy already, that that would be fun for them because you could color the picture first, talk about the picture, practice your target word, and again, these usually are children who are really more advanced language-wise or who are working on articulation and, t and intelligibility. You color the picture, talk about it, so you've certainly gotten your target word in there. You've talked about your pictures as you are putting in them in the Easter eggs. You've hidden the Easter eggs around the room. Now it's time to get the Easter eggs, find them, open the eggs one at a time, and talk about the picture. So you've had three distinct time periods where you have reviewed those pictures, and you have looked at those pictures, and you have, again, made it super focused so that you are including your target sounds, especially for intelligibility. And that there is value in that. But <laughs> for most children who are in early intervention programs, so most of us in pediatrics who work with toddlers, real objects beat pictures every single time. So gather yourself some real objects. Now, I like to use a variety of established words, words they can already say, plus new words. So let's, I have that little boy that I was talking about before, loves animal sounds. Something he can do verbally, he's really into that. He, he's, he's a picture kid, he likes a lot of books. But this week my activity for him is really going to be hiding those little plastic animals in the eggs and then our main focus, well, it's great that we'll say cow and dog and kitty and duck and all of those words that he's learning, but really expressively for him a big deal is imitating the animal sound. So don't forget about your exclamatory words when you're doing uh, this with Easter eggs. And so if you have a kid who, again, is that, at that exclamatory level, animal sounds are going to be a great thing to do there. Put in little cars and vehicles so you can get a variety of noises with that too. And remember what you're doing with this is you're really building that repertoire of phonemes. You're really, and for parents that I've just lost you, you're, making, you're teaching them new sounds. <laughs> so when you're practicing, you know, moo, he's really learning that initial M sound plus an oo, a vowel sound. 
if you're practicing an exclamatory word like uh-oh, you're really, you've got two different vowel sounds there, and you're switching the vowel from syllable to syllable, which is a priority when we're looking at intelligibility with toddlers. When you're saying, uh, you know, wow and wee, you know, you're, you're doing some things with volume and pitch there. You're doing some things with variability that with prosody. And so children with motor planning issues really struggle with variability with their voices. They don't always understand how to, how to even uh, differences in loudness and softness. They don't understand pitch differences in high and low. A lot of times we'll hear kids that sound when they first start to talk, they're a little bit robotic. And so you can work in almost any kind of focus with using this kind of activity and thinking about what can my target words be here? What 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 is what does he need to say that he doesn't know how to say? And that's the beauty too. When you're a, a therapist working with a parent, in uh, <coughs> excuse me, even at home, even using a consultative method, you can take what is this child not doing, and what are some ways that I can teach mom to do this. And sometimes we get so tied into daily routines that I'm not ever going to teach a family anything to do that's not outside of their daily routine that we forget about all this wonderful stuff that families want to do anyway. They want to have some new things to do with their kid. They want to uh, have exciting things. They celebrate Easter. They're planning on having a little basket there on Easter morning. So they're already thinking about these things. So don't feel like as a therapist going in, into homes that you have to completely shut down all these extra fun ideas or that you can't ever introduce something that would be something completely different than mom's ever thought about before. And so be, be sure that you're doing that and not really kind of tying your own hands with that and thinking I have to, again, be so politically correct or not ever introduce anything new. That's, that's not the purpose. When you do that, you're violating the spirit of the intention that we teach families how to do things they can do at home. Families want to celebrate holidays. Families want new traditions, especially for children who are not developing the way that their other kids have. They want you to teach them how to how to include their babies that they think, what am I going to do about this? He's not talking yet. This isn't meaningful for him. No, no, no. We have to get a parent uh, to understand, and that's our job as therapists, to help them understand how they can include their child in these activities, why it would be a good idea for their two-year-old to tag along with six-year-old and eight-year-old brother and sister or six-year-old and eight-year-old cousin, and how we can include them in these kind of holiday-related activities. So certainly do that. I'm just going to tell you, too, even opening and closing the Easter eggs are a big, <laughs> new, exciting skill for toddlers. They usually, their little hands are just perfect for being able to hold those. And for some kids, you know, it's going to take them, gosh, five, six, ten tries before they before they learn how to open the egg. So even just doing something like that and talking to your parent about that and what valuable lessons. Sometimes parents are doing so many of these things, but they are discounting all the learning that's going on. So that's up to us as therapists to say, hey, you may just think he's sitting there fiddling around with these Easter eggs, but let's talk about what he's learning. Look at this fine motor development that we're seeing right here. Look at this cognitive development as he's trying to get these eggs to fit. Look how it, look at how it's look at this little face. Can't you see his little wheels turning? Can't you see his brain working there? With how he's really trying to figure out how he how these two bottoms of these eggs don't fit. But look, he grabs the top 
part of this one and the bottom part of this one, and look, he can fit those together. Look at all that learning. And so you're talking a parent through that, and you're teaching them all of these things that they don't necessarily know. And so you're giving value to that everyday activity that they're doing. And when we give parents value, they want to do it again. They recognize the importance of it. And uh, let me just say one more time, don't discount introducing something completely new to a family. Don't feel like you've violated their routines or that you've made them feel inferior or something. Don't buy any of that malarkey that you might be hearing about a consultative model or a coaching model that you that you have to just stick with what they already do. That is just baloney. Parents want to hear new things. They expect you as a professional, as a therapist, to be able to come in and teach them something they don't already know. So don't buy into that whole thing about, you know, I can't bring something, I can't introduce something here. All right, if you see children in a group, or even if a, a family has their couple of siblings, there even one sibling or the neighbor is always there or if you uh, the cousins whoever one another really fun thing to do is to take that little social routine that or that social game that song that we talk about all the time on here and this little favorite activity for toddlers and it's just kind of your number one go-to social activity for any material or any kind of holiday related theme we can adapt to here with the Easter eggs. So it's to have everyone sit in a circle, and you'll take an Easter egg, and we always adapt the same little song. It's to the tune of Where is Thumpkin or uh, the French version of that. So, And we're going to sing, you know, pass the egg, pass the egg, all around, all around. Easter is coming, Easter is coming to our town, to our town. And if you don't want to sing Easter, you can sing Spring, you know, if you're uh, feeling like you need to modify that. But the, the purpose here, again, is you're doing a social activity. You're teaching a child to participate in a group activity. He's staying with you. And I've done this even with a mom, a kid, and me, where we sit in a little circle and we pass the Easter egg around like that. And, again, the value of joint attention. We're working on joint attention because the child is following the egg around the circle you're working on real attention, just the ability to stay and play. For our little friends who like verbal routines, anytime we sing a song, it's a verbal routine. So learning how to sing that. Even if a kid who's not very vocal begins to really sort of hum or even if it's not that melodic, just like they're trying to sing, that's progress. That's progress for so many of our little friends. And so think about what your goals are here. Think, do I need them to make eye contact? Well, then you're going to hold that Easter egg up closer to your face and try to get some eye contact as you're passing it around if that's one of your social goals. Certainly taking turns is inherent to this game <laughs> because the child will hold the egg, pass it to someone else, and then wait for the egg to come back around to his turn. So super, super fun way to do that. I hope that these little uh, – oh, let me let me tell you a couple more songs before we end it, before I do that kind of wrap-up here. Here Comes Peter Cottontail is a cute little Easter song to sing uh, with kids, and I've had lots of uh, kids like that song. And certainly Little Bunny Fufu is another song to sing this time of year. I can't believe I forgot to mention this at the beginning. and I, I started to talk about it, and then I took it a different direction. My favorite book for this time of year is Pat the Bunny. 
uh, and certainly it is a classic book. I think that book was from the early 1900s, so it's been around for over 100 years, but you will find no better way to help a child learn how to follow directions and participate and stay with you during a book reading task than from using that little book. You know, it starts off Pat the Bunny. There's some. There's a little um, flap that there's a mirror so that the child is looking so that you can do some peekaboo with that. Certainly some other kinds of little games that you can build into uh, Pat the Bunny. And there's a great post about that at Teach Me to Talk that I have moved to the home page. So if you've not taken a look at that, that's a great way to give yourself some other ideas about how to use that little book. And that's certainly a book that families may already have. It's on Amazon, too. If you're an Amazon frequent shopper like me and need a new copy, it's certainly there. But take a look at that and teach me to talk. If you are on my email list, that email is going out in a day or two with the directions for how to really maximize your effectiveness with that book. And again, the reason that I like using these little books is because receptive language is built into the activity and parents understand how to complete that activity after the session is over. So it doesn't matter if the child's coming to you to see you in your office or if you're doing a home visit there. This is the kind of activity that they'll repeat. And because the task is so built into the book, they uh, are going to work on that. They're going to help their child learn how to pat their bunny. They're going to help their child put their finger in the hole when it says, can you wear mommy's ring? And so really think about how you can bring some of these activities in, especially uh, this time of year, to make your therapy new and exciting. So I hope I gave you some different ideas for some different developmental levels and some fun things that you can do over this next couple of weeks for Easter. You know, and it's going to be fun for you as the therapist because, again, we already talked about staying connected to the time period that you're in. We've already talked about how valuable it is to switch up your routine and not get yourself stuck in a rut. But even more important, it's going to be so fun for your little friends because you're introducing something new, something they've not done before. And for parents, you're teaching them, hey, let's, let's spice it up a little bit. Let's do something a little different here. It is okay to go out and buy some new things. It is okay to go out and uh, do some seasonal things that you might think are appropriate for older kids, but you haven't thought about how you can do that for your youngest child who is uh, working really, really hard on gaining some new developmental skills. So I love these ideas, and I hope that you will too. If you have any feedback about these ideas or if you want some uh, ways to expand these kinds of things, get on my email at teachmetotalk.com and look for those ideas in the coming week. All right, that's okay. That's uh, all for today. I think we're going to let it be okay right there for these uh, springtime Easter activities. And once again, thank you so much for joining me for teachmetotalk.com uh, podcast. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.